Bridging the gap between the eye test and the analytics, it's the Staff and Graph Podcast with your hosts, Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock. Welcome to the Staff and Graph Podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Ian Tullock. How are you doing today, Rachel? Oh, it's it's been an interesting 48 hours, hasn't it? Yeah, I think as of we're recording this right now, it's been about 24 hours since kind of the Leafs Twitter and everything exploded online. And by the time people are listening to this, it'll probably be about 40, 48 hours from now. So should we dive into what happened? Because I know my name and your name is all over Twitter right now. So if people don't know who they are, who we are, they might be coming to this podcast now for the first time. Yeah, I mean, I think obviously we we're an NHL podcast. We try and focus on on numbers, but I'm also very much of the mindset that if something happens that involves one of us, and especially if it involves both of us, it would be doing a disservice to not speak about it. Yeah, if we just started talking about the Colorado Avalanche or the Vancouver Canucks right now, and how good Kale McCarr is, oh my oh, god! Again, that's all I want to talk about. But <laughs> we need to address some bigger issues. So. How about I just basically start with the fact that um, Terry Koshan at the Toronto Star put out a story the other night about a player, a nameless rookie on the Toronto Maple Leafs, where on the father's road trip, apparently according to multiple sources, Mike Babcock uh, asked this player to rank teammates on his team from the hardest working to the least hardworking, and he ended up sharing that with his teammates. I had heard about this when it happened in 2017, but I only heard it from one person, and at the time... You can't... If you can't corroborate it, you can't report it. Yeah, and that like, was the hard part. It was, it was my first year writing about hockey, and I didn't want to get something wrong, you know what I mean, if I wasn't 100% sure about it, so... That's the thing, is, like, if multiple... If there are multiple corroborating... And you ask any insider, right? Until they have it from multiple people, or directly from the source like directly from the individuals involved, they won't report it because the dangers of reporting something without a corroborating source is is like that's career threatening for for somebody like you in 2017. I know some people in the hockey media have a rule where it's uh, if two people tell you the exact same thing, then it's good. Some people have a three-person rule. But yeah, I only had one person at the time, and I was far from a reliable, credible media source, so I didn't feel comfortable putting it out there. But I was able to corroborate it the other evening. I, I reached out to a, a bunch of people close to the situation. They confirmed that, yeah, it was Mitch Marner that this uh, that, that Babcock did this to, and that Tyler Bozak and Nazem Kadri were two of the players low on the list that uh, Mike Babcock showed the list to. So again, if you don't understand, Mitch Marner had to give his list of hardest working to laziest players on the Toronto Maple Leafs. This is during his rookie season as a 19-year-old on the father's road trip, which would have been January 2017 of the 2016-2017 season. That was the, the year that the Leafs made the playoffs for the first time in a long time. And... I wasn't sure in the moment whether or not I should have put that story out because I know that we're kind of talking about this in the media today about, hey, there's some stuff that happens behind closed doors that you know we should be talking about, we shouldn't be talking about. But I thought it was just perf- a perfect example of how coaches will use 
their power in an abusive way and it's not fair to their workers it's not fair to the players and we're having a conversation about it right now in the public eye Jeff O'Neill has made it clear that he's talked to a lot of players around the league who also have a problem with the way that Babcock's treated them Mark Frazier's been talking about it I know that Mike Commodore's been been a meme so no one really takes his word for anything but with so many people coming out and talking about this I thought it would be good to put this story out and, and write it for the first time. This is kind of my first big scoop as a, as a writer. I'm, I'm used to just doing the analysis side of things. And I feel like there's a very fine line between uh, an investigative journalist type of situation, which this kind of falls under versus the analysis stuff that you generally yeah, do. Like this was new territory for me. So I really wanted to make sure that I had it right. So there are some details that I've heard from a few people that were really, really juicy. And I'm like, ooh, should I have put those in? But I couldn't confirm it with enough people close to the situation that I didn't feel comfortable putting it out and there. And I'm sure so. you also heard some stuff from other people that are like, hey, like, I know that this happened because somebody involved in the situation told me this, but like, this is kind of off the record. And so that's something where you're built, you're trying to build trust, you're trying to build relationships. You also don't want to sewer these people right and potentially make their lives more difficult i'm not here to throw shade at specific people and, and name drop that's oh that's no, not no, a cool no. thing to do i don't do that but it's frustrating and i feel like this hockey culture mentality of a head coach or a general manager or really anyone with power and authority in the organization basically bullying whether it's the training staff whether it's the, the you know their subordinates in the assistants whether it's uh, an intern, whether it's the players on their team, a 19-year-old rookie, so much of this happens behind the scenes that people don't realize. And in talking to a lot of people who work in hockey, work in the NHL, they, I, I've, a lot of people reached out to me and said, hey, was that really that big of a deal? And I think that that's the whole reason we need to have this conversation because I think it is a very big deal. And I don't think that it's the right way to treat people in 2019. You can't be getting away with this stuff anymore. So I'm going to preface this. Um... It's not a secret that I've worked for an NHL team. The New Jersey Devils. None of what we're discussing or what I'm about to say has anything to do with them. So let's just lay that one out. We're talking about the other 30 teams in the NHL like, as of right now. We're talking about <laughs> hockey and, to be honest with you, sports as a whole. Because this is not just a hockey problem. This happens in yeah, basketball yeah. that I've had it confirmed. It has happened in baseball and I've had it confirmed. Like... This is not a it hockey It must happen issue. in soccer. You have well-connected sources in soccer. Uh, it doesn't necessarily happen as much in soccer as it does in, from what I hear, because in soccer, as specifically with the big clubs like Barcelona and that kind of thing, it's the players have more control than the managers do most of the time. And the, it's very similar in the NBA right now. And I know that a lot of hockey fans are thinking, oh, look at all these these softies right now. Oh, they're just like the NBA players. But that's workers standing up for their rights. And I think that we're so used to management pushing you know, their subordinates around that we're not used to workers having leverage in these situations. So let's, and, let's have a conversation about the crux of this. Uh, I tweeted on... Sunday night, that this is significantly more common. Like, this type of behavior is significantly more common than people think it is. And it is. Full stop. And I would say especially in hockey circles, maybe relative to other sports. You could maybe say that in American football, I, I know that there's a lot of this. I know that in baseball, there's a lot of it. So, hang on. Before we get into... we Now we've discussed, okay, it, it happens in all sports. How do we change it? And 
can it be changed with the current personnel that sits within hockey front offices? Like, the, Are you I, referring to the quote-unquote 200 hockey men? I'm saying there is... Scott Cullen tweeted it on Monday morning. Access is a hell of a drug. And if someone comes out there and, and reports this, the odds of them getting scoops or any of the hockey men talking to them or the baseball men or the basketball men they go down because they don't necessarily trust them anymore. But the fact that this happens, like if you did this, if you did this in the regular non-sports world, you'd get fired without a doubt. You would get fired if you did this at a regular job, right? But all of a sudden you work in pro sports and you're behind this curtain. Like to me that I don't like it. I, I do not is like that, it. The hard part is that, the office culture in, say, uh, the day job that most people live is very different from a quote-unquote locker room culture. And I know that saying the word locker room culture brings up a, a lot of stuff from a few years ago, and I, I don't want to tie it in with that necessarily. But the idea that these guys who have been, you know, quote-unquote, like, jocks their whole life, and then there's the jock culture aspect of things, and... When you work your way up to the top and no one's ever told you no your entire life, as a head coach, you're dealing with a lot of egos. So I can understand the importance of laying down authority, but there's a fine line. And I think Jeff O'Neill did a great job bringing this up. And on Overdrive, it was also Noodles who brought this up. They both played in the NHL and they said that tough love, like there are some coaches who really get on you. And there are some coaches that, you know, in the heat of the moment, they don't like but they always respected them. And there was always that line where... Like Daryl Sutter, I think they used as an example. Yeah, Daryl Sutter was a great example. A lot of his former players, like, they all love him. Even though, like, in the, in the moment, he was really hard on them, they all respected him. With Mike Babcock, I think we're hearing that a lot of people just don't respect the man. A lot of people will admit that he's a great hockey coach, you know? Smart hockey mind. He wins. He brings that winning culture. That winning culture, sorry. But the number of stories that come out afterwards about the the star players and even the grinders and everyone who just kind of disrespects him to me speaks to the line that needs to be drawn in professional sports. What Babcock has done in the past, I don't think is okay. I know that we say it is because he gets results, he gets wins, and this is a results oriented business, but I don't think you could be treating your workers this way in 2019. I just don't think it's acceptable anymore. I don't think it's acceptable at all. And the problem I, I have and kind of what I struggle with is, yes, the story has come out about Babcock. And of course, like it's being made an example of and it should be because this isn't the right way to go about things. But to just be naive enough to say Babcock is the only person who has ever done this is that is being just willfully naive. Like if you there are think probably this, coaches who did this yesterday. Or not even that. How about people who work in front offices who ask the same questions to the people who work in their front office, right? Who's the weak link in our front office? Or what do you think of this person? Like that conversation happens all the time. It's a divide and conquer approach. You're trying so hard to just establish your authority, get people picking on each other, get them mad at you so that there's this weird cohesive bond. It's such psychological warfare that just doesn't need to be in a productive business, you know? And I just feel like that's the way that sports are becoming more like the actual real world. And if we're being honest, they probably always should have been, but at least now we're starting to adapt a little bit. So here's here's an interesting thing for you, because I did some timeline matching 
okay? This story happened relatively around the same time that the quote-unquote computer boys were in Florida. And all anybody could do was tear them down and poke holes and talk about Dale Talon being frustrated and just a litany of other things and how various people in Florida like weren't doing their jobs properly in the eyes of, of other people. How about the taxi situation? The taxi a- situation? Like, if you want to tell me that, like, a taxi situation is worse than what's come out now in light of the fact that, like, this has happened, that was happening at the same time, right? And people chose to jump on, let's jump on the people who aren't in our community, quote-unquote, because they're computer boys, let's say, instead of actually reporting on something that is a massive issue. And without naming names, the big-name reporters, the ones on TV are going on TV and talking about this Gerard Gallant situation, but aren't talking about this Mitch Marner, Mike Babcock situation, which is significantly worse. And that was a re- that would have been a really good time to have a discussion about hockey culture in general. Like, we've slowly been moving. I would say we're getting better. It's not going nearly quick enough, but it's getting better. And think about the progress that may have been made if... This conversation happens to you, or three years ago now, right? Think about that. Instead of focusing on what's going wrong in Florida because there's a bunch of unconventional non-200 hockey men people in the front office trying to do things, no, 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 we'll just focus on that. We won't focus on what's really going on when we have players that have substance abuse problems, players that have... Uh, mental health issues, players that are being manipulated, front offices that are manipulating employees. Like, How about front offices leaking the fact that some of their players have been in these substance abuse programs? Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's... it's I understand access, and I mean, I'm not a reporter. I, I don't really want to be one. Um, and Whereas so, I'm kind of different in terms of like our, our intended career paths. I really like the public sphere. I like the idea of the media. You really like the idea of working for a team and wanting to be a GM and, you know, winning that Stanley Cup. <laughs> and for, like for me, the way I look at it is at some point you have an obligation to do the right thing. Right. Unless you have signed something that legally prohibits you from saying something. Right. Whereas like, let's say this gets reported and the names are wrong. Then you get in trouble with slander, libel, defamation of character. Like you could get yourself in legal trouble if this isn't corroborated. But if it is corroborated, but a lot of people did corroborate it at the time. Right. If it is corroborated, you I feel like at some point you have an obligation to say this is a problem. Like think about all the things that are being pointed out in baseball and in basketball that what's wrong with culture why are we not having any of these conversations about hockey like it it almost feels like it's an ivory tower does it not i think it's the whole like you know it's a tough man sport kind of thing and i yeah but yet we have people cross-checking other people in the kidneys or you know like the fact that uh a spit 
in the face is how many games, but uh, cross-checking someone intentionally to injure them is how many games. It's 25% more dangerous. We get into these weird moral discussions. You know what I mean? When we're talking about hockey and hockey culture, we're saying, how is something that happens on the ice different from actual society? And it is different because you can't just punch someone in the face on the street. So we have to admit that naturally there is going to be some cultural differences just because the rules are different. But how much should the culture different from the real world, I think is where the, a lot of the debate is right now, because I know a lot of people have no problem with what Babcock did, because, hey, that's just kind of how this has worked, and I had to put up with it when I first got here. Yeah, so that doesn't just... make it acceptable at all. And I think that's, again, that this is how societies evolve, this is how cultures change, and I think it's for the better that we're having this discussion. Even if people listening right now might disagree, the fact that we're getting an open dialogue about what coaches can and can't say to players, I think is an important discussion to have. And if this Mike Babcock situation is, is what needed to come out for it to happen, at least it's happening. I don't like the idea that everyone's, you know, kicking dirt on Babcock on the way out the door. I would have much preferred people to accurately report on stuff when it happened. But uh, when I first found out about Terry Koshan putting out the article, that's when I'm like, okay, this is a well-connected source. So he knows more about this. And I already heard significantly more details about the story the exact one he was mentioning something okay what i was told must have been true i did some more digging into it and i decided to put it out because i thought it was the right thing to do maybe it wasn't but i i still think that at the end of the day the truth is a good thing and unless i'm directly harming someone in the process i feel like it's good to put out and the, the fact that putting marner's name out there if anything has made him more of a sympathetic figure in toronto i think a lot of fans who previously hated him are are a bit more on his back right now and that wasn't necessarily my intention with the article i just wanted to put out what happened but it wasn't something that i wanted to stop myself doing from a from a moral perspective because i did think at the end of the day it was the right thing to do okay so let's let's get this very clear the both of us agree that this kind of behavior has to stop and correct or at least let's slowly phase out of it because I think we need to accept that it's pretty hard ingrained right now. But let's That's what let's I'm saying. Stop. Like we need to move in a direction where this is not acceptable in within the hockey confines, not outside of them. Yeah, and you can be a hard ass, you can be tough on players. I mean, you're going to have lazy players, you're going to have alpha dog players, you're you're going to have different personalities that you're going to need to try different things to to make it work with them. You can still be a tough love coach, but there's a line and you can't cross it. And Babcock crossed it with this. And I think there are other stories that you'll probably hear if you talk to enough people around the league where this happens a lot. These specific acts need to stop. These need to stop. I know Ray Ferraro brought it up. He said it's garbage. Jeff O'Neill hears it, says it's garbage. Uh, Jamie McLennan hears it, says it's garbage. Every former player who's heard the story says, yeah, that's not cool. Then you know what? I think that's enough of a, a democratic vote basically here in the public where we're saying that's not okay. Okay, this but hang on. Let's not pretend that it's only that this only happens to players, right? It needs to stop altogether, whether it's players involved or not. Throughout the culture, throughout throughout management, throughout yes. all throughout the organization and professional sports. It, like it just full stop from the top down, whether it's like you said, an intern, a person on your staff and your internal staff, somebody in marketing, like or a player or who's the weak, weak link on the coaching staff. Like it has to stop. 
I think the hard part with professional sports, it reminds me a lot of I have friends who work in law or I have friends who work in accounting and the big firms, the ones that everyone wants to work at are able or they're able to completely mistreat their employees because they know that they have leverage and they know that, well, you want to work here so I can treat you like crap. The NHL, everyone wants to work for an NHL team. Everyone wants to play in the NHL. Everyone likes that glamour. So people in those organizations know that they can treat people like crap and still get away with it. I think this is people putting out a story saying, hey, this isn't okay. And we're having that discussion right now. So let's talk about what else isn't okay with regard to what happened on Sunday night. Uh, There is this, I don't want to call it outrage culture or cancel culture, because I don't really think that's what it is. It is the notion of, first of all, social media is a cesspool. There is way more negative associated than there is positive. I will strongly disagree, but the negative does suck. Right. (laughs) Like, there is a lot of, you know what, we'll call it unnecessary negativity. I think that's a good way of putting it. Right? And so there are different people in the world who have been through different things. They have different perspectives. They have different beliefs. And you know what? Me We're- and Rachel are two of those people. If, if you saw some of our private messages, you'll see that we disagree on a lot. Oh, my God, do we ever. <laughs> but it's one of those things where you're allowed to disagree with me and I'm allowed to disagree with you. But just because you and I disagree on things is not a license for you to come tear me down and trying to assassinate my character and it's not a license for me to tear you down and assassinate your character and specifically on twitter where this has become a pop culture thing because it's not even just related to sport like it's all over the damn place you disagree with someone and all of a sudden that person's a terrible person it's like no like the whole reason that we have freedoms and and rights is we're allowed to think what we want to think you don't have to agree with it and we're not asking you to agree with it but that doesn't make me a bad person it doesn't make you a bad person because we disagree on something yeah and i have had a few discussions with with a lot of people over the last let's call it six months because i've been trying to diversify my uh my twitter timeline i like the idea of having dissenting opinions because i feel like it forces me to challenge my beliefs and look at something in a more critical way and then maybe that'll help me look at it from a a different angle and i'll learn something new i find that it just makes me a better it makes me a better writer it makes me a better analyst it makes me a better person i think and you know what i find too it's like when there are situations where um something comes out that maybe we can't relate to because we haven't been through these experiences. Like, I can't pretend to say that I've had to deal with racism, and neither can you. Well, yeah, I, I can't say much. I'm a sing. I, what am I? I'm a straight white, white male. Male. Yeah, right? I'm like At the, least I've got the, the female thing going for me. <laughs> but it's one of those things where that's when something happens and it pertains to a certain minority, I like to reach out to that like people who are on Twitter and engage and say like, hey, what are your thoughts on this? How does this make you feel? Because my perspective, like realistically, my perspective on race like does not matter in the grand scheme of things because I'm, I don't have to deal with it on, on, in the same way that others do, right? So you should diversify and you should listen and value those people's opinions. Do they need to be as extreme as they are sometimes related to various social issues? No, they do not. You could say that about anything. Right. <laughs> like I've had conversations, I've seen things happen on Twitter and it relates to the LGBTQ community, right? And I've seen people fly off the handle and I'll reach out to my good friend, Brock McGillis, 
and I'll say, hey, like, what do you think of this? And a lot of times he's like, okay, this is my thoughts on this. And there is a certain portion of Twitter that is way overreacting to this. Like, it's a really loud minority that makes it seem like the majority of a certain minority feels this way. And I think that you're almost doing a disservice at that point, right? By just yelling and screaming because you make yourself look like a lunatic. I think one of the interesting things where we see this is whenever there's um, a hot topic of debate, whether it's something like the Don Cherry situation, the Ramina Schloss situation, uh, on hockey Twitter, people get really divided and it results in just chaos. And we can't admit that, hey, this was wrong. This wasn't cool. But also maybe the way it was handled could have been better. Like we're allowed to agree and have nuanced opinions on things, but it feels like social media tries to pin you in one kind of group and you need to always agree with that group. Otherwise, you know, oh, who are you? Like interacting with other people. I'm a hockey fan. I'm a hockey writer. I like talking about hockey and writing about hockey. I'm going to follow whoever's doing those things. Yes. And I think that there is, there's a tweet that, that came out that summed everything up perfectly. And it doesn't just relate to hockey. It relates to uh, like everything because obviously hockey is not the only thing that gets talked about on Twitter. There are multiple things that get talked about on Twitter, life, social issues, everything. But this tweet really kind of summed it up and, and I think it hit the nail on the head and it's this. Next time there's a tweet thread on a trending topic by someone you know, but the wording is perhaps a bit clunky. Don't bother taking the time to reread it or ask for clarification. Instead, you should go through their likes page and accuse them of whatever you like because a like can mean many things, which is exactly what happens. You disagree with someone and you think they're, oh, this person has to be a bad person. You go through their likes page and try to paint this ridiculous picture of them by cherry picking three things in tens of thousands of of liked tweets instead of just DMing the person and being like, uh, what did you mean by this? You know what I'm saying? Like it's the amount of times I've seen, oh, look at this screenshot of this person's likes. How do you have time to do that? Like, well, then again, we've all done it with Kyle Dubas. Uh, I personally there. have not done that because I don't have time to go through someone's likes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I don't have time for most people, but Kyle Dubis's are cryptic and they're they're interesting. But to, I'm, to I'm more talking about okay. So you disagree? I disagree with you, Ian. And so now you've tweeted something that maybe I'm misunderstanding, and therefore I am now going to go through your social media feeds. It doesn't have to be your likes. It could be really anything, and and try and find things to incriminate you on something that has nothing to do with the topic that we're talking about. Does that seem remotely reasonable to you? Or find an old take of mine from a year ago that was really, really wrong. Like, whether you like it or not, that's bullying. Full stop. Like, attacking someone because they have a different opinion than you is bullying. I think we just need to be nicer to each other. Yeah. I, I don't know how, how else to word it. Like, I, I'm not going to go full aggro on your side. I'm not going to go full aggro on any other side. I'm just going to say, people, let's, let's, not, let's not attack each other. Let's, let's have, if, if you have a disagreement, let's get into a disagreement and a conversation. Yeah, it doesn't need to turn into a, a an attack on on someone's character. Like I disagree with people, but I'm not going to assassinate their character because of it. I think the quote tweet aspect of of hockey Twitter oh, is God. kind of a toxic aspect of it. Sometimes quote tweets are hilarious and fun, but other times a lot a of it's cesspool of trash. A lot of the times they're just mean unnecessarily, and it. it I feel like there's kind of a culture of meanness online. You're way more mean on social media, on Twitter, than you would be if you're meeting that person, uh, you know, in real life. 
Oh, I've met a lot of people on Twitter yeah. who I strongly disagreed with. I met them in person. I had a beer with them. Like in Rochester is a great example, the Ro- uh, Rochester Analytics Conference. There are people online who have strongly disagreed with on hockey opinions. Like, uh, I love the Evolving Wild Twins, but I don't think that Kotkaniemi should have won the Selkie last year. But I, I meet them in person. You have beers with them. It's like, these are two of the nicest dudes I've ever met. And now I DM them all the time, asking for help with their website. They're great dudes. I feel like when you meet people in person, you'll see they're not that bad. Or it's not, even, see- it's not even just that. It's like, if you actually take the time to get into a nuanced conversation with someone instead of just verbally attacking them based on like your opinion of what they said, it's totally unproductive. Like, at what point do you think you're going to get a response from that person? Because it's it's a lose-lose situation for everyone. It's There's no productive conversation that's going to come from it because you're mad and they're mad that you've attacked them and you're probably misunderstanding what they mean. Like, it's just a total mess, right? But I do love hockey Twitter. I love, like, the shared experience of, of fun stuff and crazy stuff when it happens. I like the news aspect of it. But like you said, I think we need to clean up some of these other aspects of it. Much like we were talking about how hockey culture needs to change and people need to treat each other with a bit more respect. Twitter needs I to think change. <laughs> I, hockey, hockey, hockey Twitter, if we're going to talk about the larger hockey community, you know, and, and hockey teams and hockey coaches showing more respect... We should all try to show a little bit more respect, too. And yeah, I'll try to do the same thing in the future. I know a few people reached out to me and asked me, was it really necessary to drop Marner's name in that? And it's something I've wrestled back and forth with myself on. And I still haven't decided if something similar happens in the future, if I'm going to drop the name again. But it, again, having that conversation is good and healthy. And it relates to the idea of respect in the first place, which I think should, should always be the main goal. Of course. like I, I think that you brought up a really good point in the fact that people are way more willing to say things online than they would in person. Like, I guarantee you 99% of the the attacks that, that get lodged on, on Twitter and social media, that person is not walking up to you face-to-face. Like, if we did a li- live podcast, guaranteed z- maybe one or two people would walk up and be like, hey, like, I want to have a discussion with you about what you said about this. But a lot of it is keyboard warriors, and that is something I like I don't know about you but I have no time for it like zero my favorite is when it devolves into a what, what's the classic tweet the classic tweet MMA is legal <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> challenging people to fights online I'm like wait, can we not haven't we like yeah. evolved past that in society but to maybe me not. like if you wouldn't say it in person to the individual then your at reply probably shouldn't say that either that's why I try to just always be honest with people. And like when I say something online, you know it's the truth because I'm not good at lying. So I just, I, I try to be no, honest. Lying's and not something you should strive to be good at. Like, I'm so bad at it that I just don't even bother anymore. That's probably a, a better way of going about it. Just don't lie. <laughs> but it, it's, it's more like out of necessity than it is out of, like, if I had the skill, I'd probably use it. I just, I don't have it. So there's no point. Oh, God. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think this is a good conversation. We, the hockey inside sport culture needs to change. We can't have mental manipulation of anybody. Never mind, like, teenagers, however old you are, you can't have mental manipulation of employees, including players. And I think on Twitter, you cannot have this, like, I must attack you because I disagree with you. Like, I, I I don't think that's productive. I think it does more harm than it does good. And realistically, like, it reflects poorly on everyone. Like, you don't think people see that you attack people and think that you're maybe a little bit of a loose cannon? Like, it doesn't look good on you either if you're doing the attacking, right? You obviously are trying to make the person you attack look bad, but at the end of the day, no one looks good. 
Like, it's just not a productive thing to do. I'm really glad we had this conversation. I thought it was one of our better talks, even though we didn't break down a single X or O or, or analytics or anything. It was just, it was a good conversation. But you know what? We're talking about doing harm to people. And speaking of doing harm, Rob Bertuzzo intentionally injured Victor Arvidsson, who's now out for, I think, was it four to six weeks? Yeah. And someone just tweeted uh, a video of him doing the exact same thing to Brock Nelson. Yep. And this was like, I guess, a while back. But this is clearly a pattern of behavior. For anyone who hasn't seen the clip, uh, oh, Robert God. Bertuzzo is what, a third pairing, def- number six defenseman on St. Louis. He's in front of the net battling with Victor Arvidsson, which, by the way, is the most annoying thing in the world. I get it. Victor Arvidsson's a annoying player to play against. He cross-checks him into the net kind of head first. Which was dangerous part- to begin with. The first cross-check was dangerous. Yeah, and potentially, I don't know if you'd say suspendable, but a very dangerous cross-check, the first one. Uh, to me, it's a fine. That first one yeah. should be a fine. So he, what, cross-checked him such that his head went into the crossbar and then he hit the ground really hard? Yes. It was it was pretty violent. It was at the side of the net, away from kind of the play. The goaltender was at the top left of his crease. This was in the bottom right of the goaltender's crease, if that makes sense. Right. So then what happens? He turns and looks to the ref and sees that he's getting a penalty and goes, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then out of rage, gives Arvidsson a couple really hard cross-checks on the ground. And I think it was one of those hits that injured his ribs, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so this might be a little bit of human anatomy, but, like, the amount of vital organs you have in the area that Bortuzzo likes to cross-check people is legitimately insane. You have, like, your kidneys, your spleen, your pancreas, like, all of the stuff that you need to function as a human being. And the equipment doesn't do a great job of protecting those areas if you get them in the right spot. And so not only could you be breaking ribs, but you could be rupturing vital organs, which then is an entirely different level of serious. So how many games did he get for all that? Uh, Four. He got 25% more than Garnet Hathaway for who spit on someone. Wait, no, he got 25% or- more. Double. No, no, no. Garnet Hathaway got three games. So Hathaway got oh. 25% less than. Okay. I Bortuzzo thought he got two did. games. My mistake. Sorry. I was mixing it up with the Kerfoot suspension. And by the way, Kerfoot, I thought Kerfoot deserved two games. I'd just like to see more players around the league. Like get Brad Marchand, who did the same thing to Jonas Brodeen. Yeah, but I think the bigger topic of conversation this week is the Robert Bertuzzo. Oh, hit, absolutely. Is, I'm just saying, so like. so egregious. It's just such an egregious. Whether or not you want to call it an attempt to injure, it's not a hockey play. Oh, it's attempt he, to injure. Like, that's a match penalty. It should be. And he's just, like, needlessly cross-checking this dude on the ground. In the ribs. I'm just, that, like, that's so dumb. And he ended up getting hurt because of it. To me, when it's something that ridiculous, like, it's not a hockey play. Like, if you hit someone and and it's maybe like a borderline hit and, and they're injured kind of situation, you get a suspension. But if you do something that's that ridiculous, you should be out as long as that player is. I don't like that argument. Or I've always thought that was a Because that's a can of Significantly longer than four games. I think Ray Ferraro said eight. Ray Ferraro said eight, and I think he's someone that like most people respect, and I still would have liked to seen it in like the 20 range just because I'm, I didn't think it was a hockey play. To me, all. anything less than probably 12 games is unacceptable for that it like, reminds me of the Duncan Keith suspensions we've seen in the past where he's swinging a stick at people's face and I'm like okay that's not a hockey play no that's just if being you, a lunatic if you get your elbow up or if you hit someone from behind and they turn and even though you had time to react you didn't react quick enough 
I can understand, you know, defenses in the act of you trying to make a hockey play and it went really, really wrong. Yeah. But this isn't anything close to a hockey play, in my opinion. This is just a deliberate intent to hurt someone. And he succeeded. And we're giving him four games. Yeah, like if you look at, if you compare it to the Kerfoot or the Marchand injuries, you're allowed to hit in hockey. Like that hitting is allowed, right? So obviously there are hits that are bad hits and we're trying to get out of the game. But at the end of the day, you are allowed to hit in hockey. You are not allowed to cross-check someone in the ribs while they're on all fours at any point. Like it's in the rule book. You're not allowed to do that. But here's the frustrating thing. In front of the net, what oh. is allowed and what isn't allowed? <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, is at least hitting, like there's, you're allowed to hit within the context of the game. If the official's called cross-checking by the book, you are not allowed to cross-check at any point during the game, right? So there's a bit of a dip, like hitting I was going to say, if least... you watch Sedano Chara in front of the net, oh, or you God. watch Roman Polak in front of the net, or you watch Radko Gudis in front of the net, I start to question my own existence because I just don't know what a penalty is. Yeah, I think they let a little too much go. But what I'm saying is, is at least there are things, like a lot of hits, you're allowed to hit in the game. The game is a physical game. But you're you're literally wielding a weapon in your hands. That's what the stick is. It's a weapon that somehow gets used to shoot a little black thing into the net. Right? But at the end of the day, like, if you did that in the street, if you and I were playing road hockey and you did that in the street, that's assault. That's the the tricky <laughs> thing here. It's like, I feel like we're having the, the Todd Bertuzzi conversation again. It's just, when is something assault? When is it a hockey play? And this is where the Duncan Keith suspensions in the past for me were just clearly assault. He just took his stick and he hit a guy in the head. It reminded me of what Marty McSorley did to Donald Brashear. It's just like, you can't do that. And now we're seeing players do it in other ways, whether it's to the ribs, whether it's to the face, you know, what Nazem Kadri did, and I'm thinking, that's not okay. That's never been okay. That's not a hockey play. Yeah, that wasn't acceptable in the 1940s when, like, Gordie Howe was playing, so it's not acceptable in 2019. But I bet you in the Wendell Clark, you know, Gordie Howe kind of days, like, people were doing that stuff all the time, and you get two minutes, and you and you. But it's still it. not allowed. They still got two minutes. Yeah, but it's well worth it if you can take the guy's face off. <laughs> <laughs> What's the line from Mighty Ducks? That two minutes, well worth it. Kind of yeah, thing. it's not worth winning if you can't <laughs> win bad. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the greater conversation here is uh, suspensions for that need. And we should point out that the Hathaway suspension was not a player safety suspension. That was, I believe, a Colin Campbell suspension. So it's two different departments. And that, and for what it's worth, spitting in someone's face is just, again, that, it's gross. that's one where it's, it's not a hockey play. And, and that's like a, an entirely different discussion uh, versus gross. like the Kerfoot hit. I'm like, well, yeah, he hit him from behind. It was dumb. It was, it was dangerous. He's lucky the guy didn't end up super hurt, but yeah, two games sounds about right. More players should probably get that suspension. I feel like enough players don't get that suspension. Brad but... Marchand should be suspended for what he did to Jonas Brodin. It was the exact same thing. Brad, Brad Marchand should be suspended all the time. It, it, like, so, literally. <laughs> I feel like the player safety department will suspend a player, like, for example, Tom Wilson's a great example, for a huge, terrible thing he does. Which is pretty often. Yeah, but then they won't suspend him for the next little thing he does because they've reached their, like, three strikes policy and, you know, his next big suspension is going to be, like, a 30-gamer. Well, too bad. Then don't do it. But, but Or if he does something dumb, can't you give him five games for something little? Yes, you can. And just be like, okay, since you're a repeat offender, what would have been a one- or two-game suspension is now a five-game suspension. Like, there should be 
a logical way of doing that, but I, the player yeah. safety department has never done it. Yeah, to me, uh, it's hilarious that Brad Marchand gets away with what he does. Like, it's it's so egregious, some of the things that he does. Um, but when we're talking, like, as a from a safety standpoint, you can't tell me you care about player safety when you're allowing a guy to crush vital organs in, in someone's body. Because you could quite literally have done that in the Bortuzzo situation. That's what the result could have been. By the way, while we're, while we're talking about players' physical health and how the... the- Department of Player Safety doesn't care enough about physical health. Can we talk about mental health and oh my hockey God, culture in general? They do give a flying crap about mental health. And that's the thing. Mike Babcock has always really advocated for mental health. You know what I mean? And he's come out and been really supportive of Clara Hughes. And he does the Bell Let's Talk. And he talks about you know, the importance of being like a good person, good family man. But then when he treats his players like this, like the Mitch Marner situation... How did he think that affected Mitch Marner's mental health at the time as a 19-year-old rookie who was brought to tears by that situation? It's, a, it's this weird double standard in sports, and it's not okay. No, it's absolutely not okay. Um, and there's also, like, it's no secret that the NHL doesn't exactly do a lot for players that are struggling with mental illness. Uh, well, they're, they're so progressive in all the other aspects of things. Oh, my God, like, yeah. Know, it's, just, yeah. It's, just, it's just extremely, and, and I'm not even talking about players. I'm talking about, like, organizations as a whole. I will say that I like the way that people rallied around Robin Leonard, who came out and publicly talked about it, because it's not something it's easy to talk about. And good uh, on, he, like, and- Lou Lamorello, Steve Pellegrini, all of, everyone involved with the Islanders organization for allowing him to come out and tell his story, and but even more so for supporting him in getting the help that he needs, right? And giving him every opportunity to do that. And when DeMar DeRozan came out, when Kevin Love came out in the NBA in terms of their depression and the mental health issues they were dealing with, it really helped me seek out help for my depression a few years ago. So the fact that public figures are doing this is a good thing. And the fact that Mike Babcock comes out and does this Bell Let's Talk stuff is a good thing. But you need to back it up. You know what I mean? You can't just talk the talk if you're not going to walk the walk. And I think that's hockey culture needs to follow a similar vibe if they're going to have the you know you can play stuff if you can ha- if if you want to have all these progressive uh you know initiatives yeah initiatives that you're trying to push you need to back it up with the the culture within your sport and you've been doing a very poor job of it and you need to do better completely agree all right so are we ready for an extended shift yeah let's do it we'll do a, a- quick extended shift so it'll be an actual extended shift just like a minute and a half or two minutes and then all right we'll get into the mailbag extended shifts brought to you by nobody <laughs> nobody they yet. do that on they do that on uh what is it the what's the basketball show with charles barkley and shaq i and don't Kenny watch Smith basketball and... oh but everyone knows that show that's no. inside the nba the oh, inside the nba guys. I, yeah see i don't know what that is like okay but yeah, sometimes they have a promotion that's um, sponsored by nobody. So, all right, so this is our segment. For now, it's sponsored by nobody, but they, we will have a sponsor coming soon. All right. Is there a stat that quantifies when the ice is tilted in favor of a team at any given point during the game? And I love this question because I think this question can really help bridge some of the numbers and the eye test people, I think, because everyone hates the idea of the word Corsi. I hated the idea of the word Corsi. It's just I'm shot like, oh, attempt. Sh- just, yeah. I, I don't even use Corsi anymore. Shot attempts. 
or I just use the word shots because everyone can agree that shots are, you know, for more or less good. If you have 30 and the other team has 10, like, wow, that other team has problems. You know, they, everyone can agree on that. As scoring an aside chances. note, so my team at York this past weekend had 56 scoring chances in two games and we gave up 17. <laughs> that's, that's some good... Uh, is that what seventy something percent uh, scoring chance? Yeah, I, I think it bad. was like seventy one percent. Like it was that's pretty good. Ridiculous. That's really good. Controlling seventy one percent of the scoring chances, you tend to win those games. Yeah, we didn't. <laughs> but it's process. Oh, process. You got uh, no, we gave up a two on zero, and they scored. Yep, that's I mean, that's but, what happens. If like you, you said, more like often that. than not, if you control that big, like if it's that big of a gap, you'll win more games than you won't. You'll win that game, what, 70% of the time? Uh, probably, of the time? and think about it from this perspective. Would you rather be the team that won and you're basically built on a house of cards or a team that has really good process, really good underlying numbers, and is just not getting the bounces right now? Because eventually those bounces are probably going to start to go your way. And this is why Corsi, in a nutshell, just shot attempts. It, it indicates which team is generating shots You know, in, in that end. Even if they're low-percentage shots... The fact that someone took it is indicative of the fact that the puck was in the offensive zone. Well, what about you could look something at zone like time. zone time, yeah. That, that's a great example. And zone time is something that I think a lot of coaches would say that they value more than shot attempts. I know a lot of statisticians would say that, you know, shot attempts is something that they value more than puck possession. But I think we can agree that if you're in the offensive zone, generating shots, generating chances, you know, creating havoc, you want to be there and not in the defensive zone. Corsi and scoring chances and expected goals, those are all great indicators of what you're looking for. They basically suggest which way the ice is tilted. Yes, and I think that there's that's something where you can say, okay, like this Team X has all the momentum. They've The ice is tilted in their favor, and then if we have something that's being tracked on the broadcast, like zone time, where maybe guys like Ray Ferraro, Mike Johnson, the, like the analyst Jamie McLennan can say like hey like this is what the zone time is that it's a tangible thing to back up what you're seeing yep and I know the sport logic data is something they're including more of the broadcasts now which we and love that's yeah it's it's more information I'm always a fan and they'll say like this team had seven shots from the slot in that period the other team had one they had five minutes of ozone puck possession the other team had two you can see that wow yeah the ice was really tilted that period and, and that's kind of what those stats are suggesting. And I think they're, they tend to be really accurate most of the time. Agreed. All right. So that is our, we're now we're getting off the ice because we're dead tired and we're going to give up a goal here if we don't get off the ice with our extended I'm going to go for that. Uh, I'm going to go for that line change. Like when the puck is going back towards the defensive zone. Nashville, it's a two on two and I'm just tired. I'm like, screw this. Hop off the ice. Yeah, make it exactly. a two on one. What was his name? I'm drawing a blank. Oh, I don't remember. It was one of those Belarusian twins. He used to play in Montreal. Oh, uh, Kostitsin. Yep, Kostitsin. Yep. I yep. believe it was Sergey, actually. Yeah. Sir, I miss the Kostitsins. And I Grabowski, do too. Remember, remember when they were all in Montreal together? That was great. All right, mailbag time. Oh, by the way, while we're talking about ice tilt, Mikhail Grabowski, notorious for tilting the ice because he was so good at grabbing the puck and carrying it from the defensive zone to the offensive zone and staying there. He was his era as William Nylander. Very underappreciated for what he did. Consistently tilted the ice in his team's favor. Yes. <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. Like, I, super underrated leaf. Alrighty. Mailbag? Mailbag. Mailbag. <laughs> what are we tackling first here? I'm leaving it up to you. 
All right. So how much of an overreaction can there be from special team stats when there's such a small sample of the game? Uh, when do they reach the level of importance of five on five numbers? And I think the quick and easy answer to that question is they're never going to be as repeatable or predictive as five on five. Numbers. Oh, God, it's no, just never. And that's that's a sample size issue. You know, you spend most of the game at five and five. You spend two minutes here, two minutes there on the power play. I think if you break it down on average, the, the average game is 48 minutes at even strength, six minutes on the power play, six minutes on the penalty kill, more or less, something like that. Right. And when you have numbers that are just that starkly in contrast with one another, five and five play is naturally going to have more repeatability and more predictability. Uh, what's interesting is that power play stats are way more repeatable and way more predictive than any kind of penalty kill metric. Right. Yeah, and I think it makes sense because a talented offensive player can dictate the outcome of a play so much more than a player defensively who doesn't have the puck. Exactly. I think you, the teams, you'll see teams that have an abundance of talent um, that are able to dictate on the power play, and that's maybe a more repeatable thing. So if you look at Tampa, who's pretty much had a top five power play for a few years now, and you look at their personnel, and yeah, it makes sense. Um, whereas the penalty kill, unless there's a coach that's notoriously um, good for being a penalty kill coach, that may be an area that they struggle in. Um, it also has a lot to do with your goaltending, right? If you're getting a 750 save percentage on the penalty kill, you're probably not killing very many penalties, but another interesting thing about the power play and penalty kill is that if you want to predict the f uh, future results, you shouldn't be using goals, at least in a small sample. If you have a full season's worth of goal data, then the power play goal metrics actually are somewhat useful. But let's say in a small sample, a 20, 30 game sample, the number of shots you're generating, the number of scoring chances you're generating are much better predictors. The hard part is that they don't include pre-shot movement, and I'd love to know how much, let's say, uh, a seam pass on the power play. The teams that generate the most seam passes, I bet you that those are the teams that are able to most consistently outperform their shot metrics, right? Like, have a sustainably higher shooting percentage. Right. So that's something that we don't have in the public sphere, so we kind of have to rely on, like, shots and expected goals. But then you see someone like Tampa Bay, where their goals are way higher than their expected goals, and you're thinking, well, is this sustainable? Or is it their shooting talent? Yeah, and then over an 82-game season, you're, well, yeah, it's somewhat sustainable. I mean, I still think that everyone shot a bit higher last year than they're probably ever going to again. I don't think Kucherov's ever going to have another 128-point season. We'll see. It will be awesome if he does. But that team is going to outperform their, their shot metrics because a shot that goes through the middle of the slot and is one-timed from the left side of the ice is so much more different than a play where the goaltender's square to the puck, he's ready for it, and you shoot it right into his chest. It's just the context is so significantly different, but we don't have the metrics for it publicly yet. That's why I love seeing but to stuff answer like the, passes or odd man rushes, you know what I mean? The grand scheme of things, there is no point where specialty team stats will be as important as five-on-five -five stats. But I would still say the power play numbers I find really important. Especially Penalty in the playoffs, when it's an even smaller sample size and you have to have a good power play in the playoffs or you outright will not be successful. Penalty kills a bit trickier to quantify because I think there's an argument to be made that there are some players who could suppress shots really well, but if you give up that one seam pass, you're dead. You know what I mean? So Right. That one's a bit trickier, and plus there's so much team effects that go into it. You can take a penalty killer who's meh on one team, he goes to the other and is a dominant penalty killer because that penalty kill system and the way that they use him is 
maximizing that player's talent and special teams for the most part tend to be significantly more systems driven than five on five five on five so chaotic that a lot of the times you know a good player is going to play good whereas on the power play if you don't have the right way of breaking down the opposition if you rely on a lot of point shots from distance you're probably not going to score a lot of goals right it all depends on the system you're using Alrighty, yeah. do we have one more before we gotta get out of here so this is a good one because it'll start just a quick and easy conversation uh have the current leaders in the heart conversation mcdavid and Drysaddle, been that much better than everyone else or is there someone you can think should be in the conversation also i'm glad they asked this question because if i had to vote today i wouldn't vote for mcdavid or Drysaddle. Who would you vote for? Brad Marchand, and I hate myself for it, but I think he's been the most valuable player and in the league. And that is the end of this podcast, because now Ian and I disagree on something, and we are no longer friends. Yep, see, there it is. Who would you vote for? You have a vote today for the Hart Trophy. Give me your top three. Give me your top three. Uh, top three. Hmm. I probably would go John Carlson. Um, I would pick Pasternak over Marchand. The fact the fact that they're both in like the top five probably is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um. Probably McDavid. All right. I'm gonna go Brad Marchand one, Connor McDavid two, and you're gonna like this one. Kale McCarr three. Oh yes. Boom. So Boom. Is, it's not even close. <laughs> he's winning the Calder, right? If if he oh, continues on this nonsensical pace. Defensemen aren't allowed to win the Calder. It's gonna be Mikhaev. the soup man the soup man no but seriously like this guy could put himself in the norris conversation i'd vote for him for the norris today the season ended today i'm not sure i'd have john carlson ahead of him john carlson blech oh my god no his he's so good at no the points are great the points are great i just think he's more a product of a situation whereas i think yeah but he at least mccarr you can see he still have some some defensive deficiencies i it's like mcdavid though it almost doesn't matter because of how dominant he is offensively no but uh we're talking about defensemen and that includes playing defense well, yeah, but when we're talking about forwards, we're also talking about playing defense. I don't see how the, the conversation's any different. This always bothered me. How come I, see, I think there the... just needs to be a secondary award. Like, we have the Selkie for best defensive forward. We need a... The Norris needs to be for the best defensive defenseman. Don't they have that award, but no one cares about it? No, and then you need to have the Bobby Orr award for the best offensive defenseman. No, because I remember at the All-Star game that, that I saw votes about this, and Nicholas Jonwesson made his way into the top three, or he wasn't in the top three. No, that three was like, the... imagine, they don't have an award for this, because I've oh. sat there and had arguments with people about this. There needs to be an award for it. It would be a great award, and I'd vote yeah. for Nicholas Jonwesson. Side note, years. dark horse for the heart. Elias Patterson. He's great. He's still great. I love him. Too small to play in the NHL, Liam. Too well, I mean, he's six foot. He's six foot two and like a buck sixty on a good day. But he still gets a crazy amount of torque on that slap shot. Goes to show that it's all about leverage. It's all about your getting your weight into it. it has nothing to do with how much you weigh. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, Tori I... Krug's another great example. Yes. So is I would say Tara Vinen. Or Mark andre Bergeron back in the day. Oh, yes. Um, okay, so with that, we will end our, I would say, kind of odd edition of the Staff and Graph podcast. But we were both in the public eye for... Uh... <laughs> I thought it was a productive conversation, though. I really did. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we both kind of have this platform that all of a sudden people have cared about in the last 48 hours. It's been a, a big 
talking point, whether it's in Leafs Twitter or hockey Twitter. I would super prefer, honestly, like when I was sitting there on Sunday night, I would super prefer, prefer, I was kind of thinking to myself, man, I wish like zero people followed me. (laughs) <laughs> and this is where we're so different because I love getting into these conversations and Twitter no. and DMing people. And I'm like, yeah, public stuff happening. You're thinking, I just want to win the cup. <laughs> it's not even that. Like, honestly, I just don't have the energy to deal with, as Dangle calls them, the cape baiters. The cape baiters. That's my favorite bit he's ever done. It's such a dumb thing, but I love Man, it. Man, <laughs> I, I was on that podcast when we came up with that term. <laughs> and that's like i have a group chat with the two of them and that's what it's called should check it out don't cape baiters it's a good segment cape baiters yeah i just to me i i think that we really as society need to strive to have more productive conversations whether it's in the context of sport or not like i just i think we need to find a more productive way to to disagree with people because there's no way that you're going to be able to see anybody else's perspective is if you're too busy yelling into a void of about your own like you need to step back and listen my best conversations in the last 24 hours were with people who i strongly disagreed with and we learned more about the other's perspective and i i came away from it feeling as if i'd learned something even if i didn't change my overall but did you start it by yelling and screaming at them or were you productive with that conversation no and uh the best one i had was someone who i've known for a couple of years and is you know it's a, it's a really good relationship so we know that we can get in these disagreements so Alrighty. well Hope you enjoyed this because it was definitely a conversation Ian and I felt like needed to happen. And we'll be back next week with more nerd number fun stuff. and More Kale uh, McCarr praise. And Kale McCarr praise because this is the Kale McCarr fan club. Kale Chips McCarr? Kale Salad McCarr? What's his nickname? We gotta give him some kind of I don't know, but I'm gonna go maybe have some green beans and kale for dinner. Ooh. Yeah, that's weird, right? I must be getting sick. (laughs) I was going to say, you, you, before we started recording, you're thinking, ah, maybe I'll have ketchup chips for dinner. And I'm thinking, damn it, Rachel, we're talking about mental health today. You need to do, you, you need to give your body actual nutrients for your physical health. Look after yourself, goddammit. Okay, fine. I will go eat green beans and kale. I appreciate you. All I'm right, we'll be back next week, everyone. potatoes or something. I don't know if it's healthy, but you know, it's the good stuff. Alrighty, that's, that's it. I guess we'll be back next week. Until next time, take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Staff and Graph podcast. You can check out Rachel Dory's work at The First Pass, and Ian Tullock's written work can be found at The Athletic and the Leafs Geeks podcast on whatever platform you're listening to this. Also, be sure to follow these nerds on Twitter at Rachel Dory and at Ian Graph.